daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has told French President Emmanuel Macron that Beijing appreciates France's independent foreign policy as they met in Paris. The United States has once again blocked a resolution calling for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza in the UN Security Council. China's central bank has significantly lowered its benchmark mortgage reference rate. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has told French President Emmanuel Macron that Beijing appreciates France's independent foreign policy as they met in Paris. They pledged to enhance strategic coordination and work together to ensure global stability and peace. Wang Yi called on both sides to lay out plans to develop relations in the next 60 years, adding that China will continue to open up its market to France. He also expressed hope that France can provide a fair and equal business environment for Chinese enterprises. Here's more from Tony Waterman in Paris. The day started with a meeting between Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and French leader Emmanuel Macron at the Elysee Palace, the official residence of the French president. And Wang was greeted by Macron's diplomatic advisor Emmanuel Bon before heading into those bilateral talks. According to a readout from Macron's team, the discussions mainly focused on what they called the intensification of exchanges between the two countries, particularly in the agri-food and aeronautics sectors. These are two sectors that have seen a lot of bilateral growth in recent years. Airbus, in fact, just last year said that it was building a second final assembly line in China, doubling its production capacity in the world's second largest aviation market. Macron's team also said that Ukraine was discussed, and Macron called China a quote key player on the international scene from a demographic, economic, and scientific point of view. This is now the second high-level meeting between China and France in less than a week. Wang met with his French counterpart on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference just this past weekend, where he said that both countries should maintain the momentum of development, especially around. Strategic, economic, and financial dialogue, and people-to-people exchanges. This is a special year for China and France. Both sides are marking the 60th anniversary of diplomatic relations, and France was the first major Western power to recognize China at the height of the Cold War, paving the way for other European countries and the United States to do the same. And both China and France, in recent weeks, have said they'd like to see the relationship continue to develop in the years to come. Tony Waterman with a report. Wang Yi and the French diplomatic counselor Emmanuel Bon have also held the 25th China-France strategic dialogue in Paris on Tuesday. Wang Yi said relations between China and France have become increasingly stable since the establishment of diplomatic relations 60 years ago. He said China and France should strengthen strategic communication and develop consensus on major issues, working together to cope with global challenges. Bond said that France attaches great importance to developing relations with China and will stick to the One China policy. He said, with the challenges of international chaos and geopolitical conflicts, the two countries should jointly advocate and practice true multilateralism, resist camp confrontation, and improve global governance. Now, for more, we're joined by Dr. George Zugopoulos. He is director of EU-China programs and senior research fellow at European Institute of Nice. Thank you, Doctor, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Now, Doctor, first up,、uh, this year marks the 60th anniversary of China-France relations. As our reporter had said earlier,、uh, France was the first major Western power to establish formal diplomatic relations. With China during the height of the Cold War, I mean, how do you comment on the achievements of bilateral relations between the two in the past six decades? Well, I believe that、uh, we should start uh, from uh, looking into history because, as you correctly said, France uh, was uh, the first Western country to establish diplomatic relations with China, 
and this uh, happened uh, in a period uh, during which France uh, wanted to act autonomously uh, with uh, General de Gaulle. Mm. So this is what we need to remember and also make a connection uh, between uh, uh, French, French policy at that time and uh, French policy in today's uh, world. So I believe that uh, in the last six decades, uh, France and China have established very good political and economic relations. Uh, and uh, this is also uh, indicative uh, in the achievements of uh, the partnership itself. For example, uh, political statements, uh, political declarations, trade volume, cultural cooperation, investment opportunities, and so on. And obviously, we need to mention the visit of President Emmanuel Macron last year in China, mm. where he met with President Xi Jinping, and they elevated the bilateral uh, partnership to new heights. Mm. Doctor, so during his meeting with uh, Emmanuel Macron, Wang Yi called on two sides to increase strategic coordination and continue to contribute to world peace and stability. Um, in terms of uh, global issues, what major global issues have the two sides worked on together in their 60 years of formal relations, in your opinion? Well, both countries uh, can uh, contribute to peace and stability uh, at the world uh, level. And obviously the challenges, especially in the last uh, two years, are massive for, uh, uh, for the world. So the two countries uh, are able to exchange views uh, in order uh, to reach uh, an understanding that can uh, uh, help uh, appease tensions which are increasing at the global level. And in that regard, I believe that the declaration signed uh, last uh, April, in April 2023 in Beijing, was highly significant because it mentions several areas where the two countries are agreeing. For example, uh, the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons or the non-users of nuclear weapons. These are commitments that the two countries are making and are highly significant, taking into account the current instability uh, in the world order. Mm. Well, he also told Macron that China appreciates the independent foreign policy uh, taken by France and hopes France will continue to play a constructive role for the development of China-EU relations. Now, doctor, in your opinion, what was Wang Yi referring to when he mentioned the independent foreign policy of France and really how much influence can France wield you know, among EU nations in terms of China policy? Well, again, we need to look into history. So the, the, uh, the decision of General de Gaulle to establish diplomatic relations uh, with uh, uh, China 60 years ago was indicative of the French thinking in international affairs. And currently, France is making steps at the European Union level to promote what is being called as the strategic autonomy concept for the European Union. Mm -hmm. This means that the European Union needs to act autonomously in international affairs in order to better preserve its interests. And these interests include the cultivation of conditions which can allow uh, the forging of uh, multilateralism and of a multilateral world order. And it is within this context that relations between France and uh, China are highly significant. France obviously is a very important country for the European Union at the strategic, political, and military level in particular. Uh, it enjoys uh, the experience of dealing with issues of strategic significance, and I believe uh, that uh, the bilateral relationship will further improve and that also France will continuously make a difference in the EU foreign policy making. Mm. Doctor, at this moment, what major global issues urgently need China and France to join hands and work with each other on? Well, I would say that currently the continuation of the war in Ukraine and the two crises in the Middle East, which are the war in the Gaza Strip and the instability in the Red Sea, mm. are among the issues which need China and France, as well as China and other European countries, to exchange views in order to guarantee stability as much as possible. It is impossible to hope for peace and to hope for a reduction of tensions if the two sides are not talking to each other. So the more they talk to each other, 
the better it will be in mm. order also to coordinate their voices at the UN level. It's very important to make the UN the central pillar of the international system in order to hope for a reduction of tensions which are continuing in several uh, hotspots at the global level. Mm. Well, during the 25th China-France strategic dialogue in Paris on Tuesday, Wang Yi said that China views Europe as an important pole in the multipolarization of the world today, and China supports Europe to increase its strategic autonomy, a concept that you already mentioned. But... um, EU officials in recent years have been talking about de-risking from China. What do, re- what do they really mean by that? And is this strategy really strategically autonomous, uh, especially against the background of China-U.S. rivalry? Well, the strategic autonomy concept, as you just uh, mentioned, uh, means that the European Union wants to be strong enough in order to be uh, a reliable uh, and uh, a reliable pillar in the international system. This means that the European Union is working on different concepts, for example, the economic security concept. Uh, However, at the same time, this does not mean that uh, collaboration with uh, with China is not on the agenda. So the two sides can disagree on, on some issues. Uh, this is evident, but at the same time, the, su- the two sides are looking for ways in order to bridge their differences, or at least in order to find uh, a modus vivendi in order to progress and advance their partnership for the future. So yes, we can talk about disagreements, but at the same time, we can talk about the common will of the two countries and the two sides, if you want to generalize the discussion and talk about the European Union and China, concerning how China and Europe could guarantee multilateralism and the forging of a multilateral world order Mm. that will serve the interests of the international community. Well, this is a very complex issue. Uh, I wish we had more time, but uh, we have to move on. Thank you. That was Dr. George Zugopoulos, Director of EU China Programs and Senior Research Fellow at European Institute of Nice. Coming up, U.S. vetoed another UN resolution on humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. This is World Today. Be right back. Hi, this is Li Yunqi with the podcast Deep Dive. Hello, everyone. This is Zhao Ying with World Today. As the Chinese saying goes, Jiao Long De Yun Yu, Zhong Fei Chi Zhong Wu. I wish the year of the Chinese dragon brings you strength, courage, and fiery passion to guide your path in 2024. I wish you, Yu Yue Long Men, Da Zhang Hong Tu. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you strength and a bright future. Hi there, this is Yang Guan with the Sideline Story as we usher in the year of the Chinese dragon. Allow me to extend to you my best wishes for happiness, cheerfulness, and success. Welcome back to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. The United States has once again blocked a resolution calling for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza in the UN Security Council, despite the document having overwhelming support. The White House said the Algerian proposed resolution would jeopardize talks to end the war. China's top UN envoy Zhang Jun criticized the move, warning that it would send a wrong message. Well, for more details, I earlier had a conversation with Dr. Wang Jin, associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Thank you for talking to me, um, Professor Wang. The reason the United States provided for the veto was that the cessation of hostilities without securing the release of hostages in Hamas's captivity would only pr- prolong the conflict. I mean, how do you comment on that? I, I think it's a baseless, actually, because uh, what we have to know is that the United Nations uh, uh, Security Council Resolution on the one hand, represents the international consensus on to on the end of war between Israelis and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, and on the other hand, it provides a kind of authority uh, for the international establishments and organizations to end the war. So actually, it should not be perceived as the obstacle to any peace efforts, but actually, it's encouragement for the peace efforts between Israelis and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. But the United States believe, according to the United States, that they perceive that uh, the very possible 
uh, draft uh, resolution might uh, prevent uh, the, the the upcoming uh, choose or up, upcoming peace deal between Israelis and uh, Hamas over the hostages release and ongoing uh, mediation uh, process. I don't think it actually uh, stands because uh, some of the the states, uh, especially the Arab states, uh, who participate in the process of putting forward and drafting this resolution, such as Egypt, such as Jordan, they also are the part of the mediation group. Mm-hmm. And they, on the other hand, actually, that uh, the Arab states and other regional states, they hope that the kind of uh, uh, more authorized uh, resolution from United Nations Security Council could help uh, maintain a kind of the pressure t- towards Israel uh, to persuade Israel from giving up these military operations in the Gaza Strip. So I think United States uh, uh, comments uh, and veto is basically and it's only uh, at all you to the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip. Mm. The United Kingdom actually abstained from uh, from voting. I mean, how do you see the considerations by the UK? I think because, uh, just because the UK has to consider its relations, reconsider its relations with the Arab states, because we know uh, there were some, uh, this resolution draft, also uh, put forward by the Algeria, uh, Algeria mm. but also it's actually uh, joined by many and supported by by most Arab states. So given the fact that uh, the, the UK has a very close connections with uh, many of the Arab states, especially Jordan, Egypt, and other uh, Arab states, he, they have to can reconsider the very possible outcomes if the uh, also veto the resolution that could uh, lead to the deteriorating uh, relations between uh, between uh, London and uh, different uh, Middle Eastern countries. So that is why I think UK finally chose to be abstained and hope to bring the uh, hope to bring the possibilities of the close connections with the Middle Eastern countries as a very higher priority. Mm. Uh, Zhang Jun, uh, the Chinese ambassador to the United Nations, uh, said after the voting that it is the exercise of veto by the United States that stifles the Council's consensus. The U.S. veto sends a wrong message, pushing the situation in Gaza into a more dangerous one. Uh, how do you respond to uh, that by Zhang Jun, and what has been China's position on you know, possible ceasefire in Gaza? I think uh, Ambassador Zhang Jun's uh, description uh, was very uh, accurate and also very precise because uh, given the United States veto against the draft resolution, uh, it actually adding more uncertainties to the uh, to the ongoing war and also United States veto becomes a very major obstacle for the peaceful efforts from international uh, society towards uh, the end of the uh, ongoing war between Israelis and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. So that is why uh, China, on the one hand, has still uh, very highly stressed the, the, necess- the, the, the necessary mm. uh, for, from of the international efforts to maintain a consensus, because once a very, very unified consensus was reached by the international society, it would give a lot of pressure towards both Israel and Hamas to hope to, with the hope to end the war as early as possible. And then on the other hand, China also uh, as it has already done as much as we can mm. to provide humanitarian assistance, just as the, the, the vetoed, uh, the drafted resolution by the United, United States stated, that the humanitarian assistance should be very highly uh, stressed. Also, China has already given a lot of the humanitarian assistance to the local Palestinians through Egypt and other, other Arab states. And also China uh, very highlights the importance of maintaining the, 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 the humanitarian uh, aid channel towards, uh, towards the, the, the hands of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. So that is why I think China will continue to do our very active, constructive role in the peace process between Israelis and Palestinians and hope to bring the peace back to the both sides as early as possible. Mm. Since the war broke out, uh, the United States has been always against uh, a possible ceasefire in Gaza. But uh, ahead of this uh, voting on the resolution by uh, Algeria, the U.S. has been circulating a draft resolution uh, ahead of it, uh, 
calling for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza as soon as practicable and in tandem with the release of all hostages taken、uh, on October the seventh. Does that mark a major shift in U.S. position over the conflict? Why or why not? Okay, I think it's、uh, it suggests both、uh, mm. the shift and also the maintenance of United States policy. Because、mm. if we say that is、uh, if we say okay now United States now a transform or changes policy, it worked because actually United States before at the very early stage of this war erupted in last October, United States fully supported Israeli military action or military retaliation against the Gaza Strip targets. And also, United States sent、uh, complete、uh, military assistance, military weaponry goods to Israel's military forces to help me to to stop the war. So actually, if we compare what uh, uh, what happened there in the early、uh, of the、uh, war stage, actually, United States transformed its policy. But if we say no,、uh, we we maintain that the United States actually has not transformed is、uh, too much. Of its policies against、uh, the, the the ongoing war, because the United States still maintain that after this war, the Hamas should be ousted、uh, from the political struggle in the Gaza Strip, and also、uh, uh, and also the United States still maintain that Israel's safety should be ensured as a very high priority,、mm. and also、uh, without mention mentioning. The very possible、uh, breakthrough of the peace process between Israel and Palestinians, and also considering what is happening, especially the disastrous situation for the local Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. So, actually, I don't think United States their policy transformed too much compared、uh, with before and with the last weeks. United States、mm-hmm. goal is still very simple: that would oust the, uh, uh, the, the drive Hamas out of the political structure and ensure the Israeli safety as a very, very important goal in the future.、Mm. Israel is、uh, preparing for an offensive in Rafah, which is opposed by its ally, the United States and、uh, European Union countries. Tell us the importance of Rafah, the place, and why America and the European countries are opposing this.、Uh, because Rafah now is Rafah,、uh, Rafah、uh, Rafa is a very, very important ch-、uh, channel city or the channel town. Connecting uh, is uh, connecting Egypt and、uh, the Gaza Strip. So、uh, mm-hmm. given uh, what has uh, w- given that the war has been enduring for、uh, for 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 months,、uh, that the、uh, the Rafa becomes、uh, as the very southern part of the Gaza Strip become the last、uh, haven for uh, for uh, for uh, I mean for more than million、uh, Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. So, with that, Israel now is preparing their、uh, military offensive against Rafa.、Uh, it means that、uh, there will be no、uh, safe area. I mean, uh, 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 the the war-free zone in、mm. the Gaza Strip that would become a very disastrous uh, uh, situation for every Palestinian in the Gaza Strip. Uh, given also that we know that some Western countries they oppose or they very strongly oppose Israel's. Military actions, especially United States, expressed different ideas and hope that Israel will suspend their military operation against Rafah. But we have to know that at the same time, the United States just passed the bill to give more、uh, weaponry assistance to Israel to launch and continue their military actions in the in the in the in the Gaza Strip,、mm. especially particularly against Rafah. So I think. If we look at the diplomatic re- remarks, it is of course that some Western countries express their opposition ideas, but、uh, we, we also have to notice what United States is doing. That what they are doing is to continue their support over Israeli military actions and continue the killing of the civilians, especially the in- innocent civilians,、uh, Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. That should be the very、uh, thing that I think the international society should do something to stop. That was Dr. Wang Xin, associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Coming up, China's central bank significantly lowered its benchmark mortgage reference rate. This is World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We'll be right back after a short break.
Olaf Ellard, Economics Professor and Member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. China's central bank has cut its benchmark mortgage reference rate by 25 basis points to 3.95 percent from a previous reading of 4.2 percent. The 25 basis point cut to the five-year loan prime rate, or LPR, was the largest since the reference rate was introduced in 2019. Experts say this is a renewed effort to stimulate credit demand and revive the property market. For more, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Nov AK Technologies. So Jiahe, thank you for joining us. And looking at this 25 basis points cut of five-year loan prime rate, what does it mean for the economy, and how do you interpret this move now? Well, basically, this reduces the cost of、uh, making loans, especially when we look at the real estate loan.、Uh, currently,、uh, you know, Chinese people have bought a lot of real estate. Real estate、um, properties is actually one of the major ways for Chinese citizens to store their money, and many people have actually used the mortgages. So, cutting off the interest rate means that they are going to pay less money right away. I mean, probably from ne- starting of next month. So, people will find that they have to pay less to banks.、Uh, In order to repay their mortgage loans, which means they will have more money to consume.、Uh, well, in this spring festival, we have already saw a lot of people are consuming quite a lot in the in the tourism market, in the cinemas. You have seen the box office increased to record high, and with this cutting of the loan rate, that will mean more consumption power will be released. Mm. And China is aiming for a flexible and targeted monetary policy, the prudent stance, of course. And we know that the most loans are priced of one-year loan prime rate, and that rate has remained steady since August last year. So why did the one-year LPR remain unchanged? Well, the five-year benchmark lending rate was cut. Well, when we look at the one-year、uh, loan rate, is actually much lower compared with the five-year loan. And when you look at the one-year loan、uh, loan rate, it's more associated with things like you know a consumption loan stuff like that. And when we look at the longer-term、uh, interest r-、uh, loan rate, is actually more connected with things like、uh, real estate loan stuff like that.、Um, so, which means if you look at the short-term Uh, loan made、uh, made by borrowers. Most of them are actually using that for things like consumption and stuff like that. It's、uh, most of them are actually smaller amounts compared with the longer term mortgage. Which means if you reduce the longer term mortgage, it will release much more consumption power compared when you remove short term loan rate. Mm. And talking about this five-year LPR cut, what does it mean, or how big of a boost will it be for the real estate market, and also how big a boost is that for the economic confidence? Well, when I look at this cutting of the interest rates, I think more help will it actually give to the consumption economy because this cutting is aiming at almost all the borrowers who borrowed money to buy their mortgage,、uh, borrow the mortgages to buy their properties. So that means they will have more money right away, and they can consume more right away. But if you talk about the additional buyers of houses, currently. Um, how much they are paying the banks for their mortgage is not the biggest concern most new buyers are actually thinking about. What they are actually thinking about is that how much down payment I'm going to pay because that's a very large chunk of money. And another thing they are thinking about is that、uh, is the property really worth of the price? If I buy it, will it rise in the next five years or will it drop? So the The rate that they are actually paying to the banks is not that a big concern. Well, it's, it is a concern, but it's not a very large concern、mm. compared with the consideration of whether the property will go upward and how much down payment I'm going to pay. Am I going to pay twenty percent, thirty percent, or forty percent? So these are the bigger concerns. But if you talk about the cutting of the interest rate, that's well, most of its impact will be delivered to people who have already borrowed their mortgage,、uh, who is paying their、uh, you know mortgage. Back every month, which means a lower rate will give them more money to consume. 
Mm. And Jiaho, we've talked about the monetary policy, the property sector. I also want to take a look at the capital market. And we've seen that China's shares、uh, perform higher,、uh, you know, on the first few trading days after the Chinese New Year. And China's top securities regulator、uh, recently held symposium to solicit public opinions on strengthening the supervision and promoting the high-quality development of the capital market. And many detailed measures were proposed. And among them, for example, calling on the CSRC to strictly regulate which companies can seek an IPO by boosting the quality of the listed companies. So, if that proposals are indeed adopted, how important do you think will this move be in terms of、uh, developing a high-quality capital markets in China? Uh, yeah, well, we have seen that the CSRC has asked for suggestions、uh, from investors and capital markets.、Uh, you know,、uh, and ha- I have actually written an article last night regarding the security of our、uh, trading accounts and some detailed suggestions. So we have seen that people are trying to give a lot of suggestions, and the CSRC are definitely listen to them.、Uh, and when you talk about the IPO, yeah,、uh, we have seen that in recent years a trend has been moving to. Toward a stricter control towards the IPO companies, it has been a phenomenon in the past that many companies just want to IPO, sell their shares, and get the money, and you know, they just don't care about the listing company anymore. We have seen frauds, we have seen careless、uh, shareholder activities, we have seen all these kind of things that hurt the capital market. But in recent years, we have seen that we are having. More and more strict control over IPO companies.、Mm-hmm. Uh, people are well. The the, the shareholders, the CEOs of IPO companies are holding much more responsibilities. And if they break these rules, they will be you know charged, even get you know charged by law stuff like that. So this is actually providing China's、uh, security. Uh, well, capital market with better IPO companies,、mm-hmm. and participants also suggested that the CSRC work to draw in more medium and long-term capital into the market. So, what do you make of that proposal, and what more can the Chinese securities regulator do on that front? I think that's a very important thing if we want to have a very、uh, good and matured and developed、uh, capital market in the future. Because many investors in in the Chinese market are actually trading a lot. If you look at the retail investors, many of the retail investors change the holding of their stocks within one to two weeks, which means every year they. Change their portfolio by about twenty to forty times, which is unthinkable. I mean, you you won't make very good investment records at all if you turn your portfolio by twenty to forty times every single year. It's not investment; it's more like a kind of gambling. If you look at some of the institutional investors, especially some smaller institutional investors,、um, some of them are also trading quite a lot. Some of them having like a ten over ratio of five to ten years every year. So that's not long-term investment. So that's what the Chinese capital market is really needing. We need long-term investment, which doesn't only mean that you put your money in your in this capital market for many years, but also means you trade much less. You seek for the value. You try to find the company. That is well, the good with the quality and the low with the valuation, and you buy these companies and you hold for like three or four years, and you sell them when the price went up, and you try to find the next one.、And、this is the kind of value investment we are talking about, and this is something that China's capital market is really needing. So、mm-hmm. that's why the CSRC is trying to promote this. Mm-hmm. So Jiahe, in your observation, so what's the outlook of China's stock market this year, and what's the outlook of the Chinese economy in the year 2024? When we look at China's economy, I definitely have strong confidence about our economic performances here. Well, this is based on the fact that we have been doing pretty good in 2023.、Uh, if you remember, 20, in 2023 we got a 5.2 percent growth rate with the GDP, and we got 6.7 percent growth with the using of electricity, which is something you know、uh, going on side by side with the GDP growth.、Uh, and that was achieved among many negative factors. 
sectors. For example, the global trading market is not very good. We got a sluggish real estate market, and we were just working out of the pandemic uh, in the first quarter and the second quarter of the year. And with all these things, we have achieved over 5% growth rate. And looking at this year, everything is turning better. We don't have COVID anymore. We got a real estate market is hitting the bottom. It's now probably coming out of its bottom. Um, and we got a pretty strong, well, stronger and stronger trading relation between China and, you know, areas like ASEAN countries. All these sectors are turning out to be better or at least not getting any worse. So why would we still have 5.2% growth this year? It's very possible we will get, I think we will get somewhere around 6 to 7% or maybe even higher than 7%. Um, and with this GDP, you probably expect a pretty good uh, capital market, especially when we look at many stocks in the capital market, they are having very cheap valuation right now. You can find like the valuation below, you know, eight, even five times PE ratio, especially in the Hong Kong market and in many of the Asia companies as well. So you see this low valuation, you see this rapid growth of the GDP. Well, you, you have a lot of confidence toward the market. That was Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novakate Technologies. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. This is World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Chinese Foreign Ministry has criticized the trade protectionist measures taken by the United States and Europe, stating they will hurt long-term development of these countries and global prosperity. The U.S. is reportedly considering non-tariff restrictions on Chinese smart car imports, while the EU has initiated an anti-subsidy probe into Chinese electric car imports. Spokesperson Mao Ning emphasized the collaborative nature of the auto industry's supply chain, highlighting China's significant contribution to global green transition, with one in three exported cars being electric. Criticizing the trend to politicize trade, the spokesperson stressed China's commitment to cooperation, openness, and inclusive economic globalization. For more on this, my colleague Guanna earlier talked with Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics. First of all, Professor, what are the implications of the reported restrictions on Chinese smart cars and electric car imports by the United States and the European Union, respectively? Well, the surge of the Chinese uh, e-vehicles has been really explosive. And that really scared many of those competitors on a global basis. And right now, and this uh, issue is being getting more and more politicized by uh, EU and uh, the United States market, where they really wanted to have more of the local sourcing and local manufacturing in order to provide more job opportunities to their auto workers. And also, they found that. Uh, well, with the aggressive, uh, the flow of the Chinese cars on a global market, they're going to repeat the picture of uh, the Japanese auto industries into the United States like uh, 40 years ago. And so that's a really scary picture in their perspective. But on the other hand, those environmentalists and also those uh, rational thinkers think this is a good thing because uh, China is providing affordable and practical cars that support particularly the urban mobility that helps them to alleviate the environmental considerations. Therefore, there has been quite much of the debate and the entire issue is that it's a a political consideration rather than a market uh, mechanism that is at work. Professor, it's interesting you mentioned the comparison between China's EV boom with the Japanese auto development decades ago, who also faced protectionism at that time. So could you please help us understand how do trade protectionist measures today impact the long-term development of countries involved, the U.S., the European Union, and China? 
I think now a free trade is still the game of the world to collaborate together. And what is required is、uh, the catchword of fairness in competition. You know, what is exactly the fairness? And what is exactly the level playing fields that people are talking about? And this is really、uh, where the controversy arises. And China says, "Okay, let's compete on price. Let's compete on the consumer preference." And this is what China has been doing to support with government subsidies of the nascent ind- industries to grow faster. And this is really a national strategy that is adopted actually everywhere. And this is not really a confrontation with WTO rules. Well, since the October last year, EU launched the investigation into the possible subsidies、uh, into the Chinese、uh, vehicles by the Chinese market. They assumed that、uh, this is really working against the fair play. However, actually, China has already wound up the subsidies. I think it's fair enough to support the infant in- industry that is there to grow more competitively from the. A market, but right now it is really the competitive edge of the Chinese e-vehicles that are really there to attract more of the consumer preference in the entire EU market. And EU is really in desperate need of、uh, the supply from the Chinese、uh, side in terms of the e-vehicles because they are they are suffering from the shortage of energy supply, and particularly now they have ambitious plan to have、uh, green transition. And China is there to fill the gap, and so therefore, I hope that EU can really balance their approach in working with China instead of、uh, going ahead and launch the sort of、uh, countervailing duties over the Chinese exports. And that's also a reminder that uh, their uh, domestic industries needs to get up and also. Move on the competition, which is、uh, the fair play. Both、uh, Chinese players and the EU players can really come together.、Mm-hmm. Professor, the U.S. government has also offered generous subsidies to stimulate EV sales in the country, but we haven't seen much of these efforts translating into desired results as expected. What factors contribute to the slower growth? Of the American electric vehicle industry compared to its counterparts from China and the European Union. Well, as a matter of fact, I was in the states to investigate part of the issue is、uh, the e-vehicle market, and I observe actually the U.S. consumers,、uh, most of them, are not very much enthused of the e-vehicles because it is more used for. Urban、uh, transportation. The American people wanted to drive far, and that's not really very much fitted to their habit of usage. But having said that, the、uh, Inflation Reduction Act is there to support this in terms of the environmental consideration, which is not very much、uh, the received by U.S. consumers.、And、the other reason is that、uh, the U.S. still play protectionist policies against, particularly the Made in China on top of the 2.5. The Trump tariff for additional 25 percent has not been rescinded yet. But if you look at the U.S. neighbor in Mexico, there is a growing number of Chinese e-vehicles, and also, so far as I know, that more of the Chinese e-vehicle makers are negotiating with the Mexican counterparts to build locally made, so that they can really legitimately circumvent the U.S. tariff. And taking advantage of the the free trade agreement with the United States. As a matter of fact,、uh, I think that、uh, eventually China is also going to have the manufacture locally in、uh, EU market. So this is really a wise approach, and that can really avoid some of the protectional hurdles. Then taking advantage of the locally made and locally sold. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you mentioned the comparison between China and Japan, but how do you compare China, the European Union, and the United States? They have adopted different approaches to developing their electric vehicle industries. How do you compare the strategies of these three parties? And from the perspectives of government and market dynamics, what are the key differences among them? Well, for EU and the US, the problem for them is past dependence because they are so much used to the、uh, conventional vehicles and、uh, to really to make revolutionary changes 
workers needs to get new skills and also the uh, new policy needs to be adopted. And then that also uh, means a large investment uh, for the complete the overhauling some of the conventional assembly lines, et cetera, which the capitalists and also entrepreneurs are not really very much willing to do that. But for China, it's like many other developing countries. We do not really have very sophisticated landlines in terms of telecommunication. Suddenly, you know, people have mobile phones. That's a frog leap. That's the advantage of late commerce. So for China's e-vehicle, it is the same Type of pattern. So right now, more of the capital are being gathered, particularly over the last one decade, over the e-vehicle market in response to the Chinese、uh, commitment in terms of the carbon neutrality and carbon peaking plan. And、uh, also, the government is there to work hand in hand with the manufacturers as、uh, to boost their production facilities and to support them to、uh, sell overseas, particularly along the Belt and Road countries. And then the domestic competition is also driving them to grow, not only in terms of the output, but also in terms of quality improvement. Professor, the spokesperson also mentioned China's auto industry's contribution to world's green and low-carbon transition. Can you elaborate on how China's leapfrog development in the auto industry facilitates this transition? Well, people identify the exhaust from cars,、um, the burning gas, as really one of the、uh, culprit in producing carbon dioxide and many other toxic gas, etc. So now, e-vehicles is there to help to alleviate the、uh, entire issue. Plus, it is also、uh, cost-effective because、uh, it doesn't burn all the gas、um, when the、uh, congestion is、uh, in the town. And the fact also, China brings more of the components and also the raw materials from overseas in、uh, in terms of the silicon, etc. It's also there to help those、uh, you know supplying countries. To get more of the income, particularly those、uh, underdeveloped countries along the Belt and Road, and also the Chinese export supply is there to provide clean vehicles over there, and that's something that's really to support their plan on a global basis as how to reduce carbon emission and also to reach the target, for example, EU of 2024 in terms of carbon neutrality. Many of us are really、uh, taking advantage of the Chinese、uh, low labor cost and high efficiency. And the fact Tesla is parked in China and making a huge success by not only selling into China but also to sell on global basis, it is there to see you know China's competitiveness by its own nature instead of relying on the government subsidy is really at work. That was Liu Baocheng, professor and director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news—not just what's happening, but why. This is World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Lawyers for WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange have launched what could be the final bid to avoid extradition to the United States to face trial over leaking military secrets. His team argued that he should be allowed a full appeal in a two-day hearing this week at the High Court in London. Supporters argue Assange exposed wrongdoing, but the U.S. says the WikiLeaks founder put lives at risk. Originally from Australia, Assange began his legal battle in 2010 when WikiLeaks revealed confidential U.S. military files regarding the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. He took refuge for seven years in the Ecuadorian embassy in London before being arrested in 2019. For more, we're joined by Professor Joseph Syracuse, inaugural dean of Global Futures at Curtin University in Australia. Thank you, Professor. It's good to have you back on the show. Now. 
Uh, Assange's lawyer argued that he should、uh, he would face quote unquote a flagrant、uh, denial of justice if extradited to the United States. In your opinion, will that be the case? Why or why not? Professor- well, he's broken the law.、Mm-hmm. Look,、um, he's a、um, what we call a First Amendment case. He's saying he's a journalist, and as a journalist, he's protected by、uh, freedom of expression, the American First Amendment. If, if he had been a journalist and, and published what he did. Uh, no one would touch him. The fact is,、uh, he is a middleman. He's a whistleblower, and、um, he's a hacker. So the United States government says they're not interested in the fact that he might be a publisher or a journalist. They're interested in the fact that he broke 18 laws, 17 of them against the、uh, Espionage Act, and one against actually hacking into computers with、uh, Chelsea Manning. So、uh, you know they.、Uh, They've been trying to get this guy for about twelve years, and for twelve years he's been ducking the the American government, and he has no friends in America except certain elements of the public.、Uh, the Democrats don't like him. Hillary Clinton thinks that he、uh, he lost her the the election、mm-hmm. in two thousand sixteen. The Republicans don't like him. In fact, it was Donald Trump who went after this guy. So he's trying to stay out of American supermax prisons. These are these maximum security prisons. Or about ten by fifteen feet, you barely see the light of day, one except for one hour a day. And you know he he reckons he'll die、mm-hmm. in a place place、Professor. like that. And、mm-hmm. you're right. In the last twelve years, he's、mm-hmm. been holed up in security prison in Britain,、mm-hmm. seven years in the Ecuadorian embassy to avoid this、uh, this day of reckoning. But the day of reckoning has come. Now, Professor,、uh, his wife Stella Assange、uh, said, which is also something his supporters said.、Um, In trying to prosecute Assange, U.S. security services wanted retaliation for exposing their war crimes. Do you agree with her? Now, of course, the American government doesn't want people like Assange running around exposing the inner workings of the American government, particularly when it goes wrong. But look, I understand why his wife is saying that. What ramifications has Assange brought to the global image of the United States? Well, the first thing he did in 2010. Was released some documents that showed the United States, a United States helicopter, killing two innocent Reuters reporters who were doing nothing except standing around.、Mm. So it exposes the dark side, the dark side or the underbelly of American foreign policy. American foreign policy is played in a very tough field, and the Americans they don't want everybody knowing what they did because if it doesn't work out, they don't want to be held accountable. So they they hide behind these things. So if he's free, this would be a great triumph for those who argue that whistleblowing is legal and、mm. it's a proper thing to do. But not all whistleblowers are journalists.、Mm. Uh, Chelsea Manning went to jail for thirty-five years because he was a soldier. Well, certainly, this is a very controversial issue that has been attracting a lot of attention, not only you know in Western countries but、uh, around the world. Thank you. We appreciate your time and insight. That was Joseph Syracuse, inaugural dean of Global Futures at Curtin University in Australia. That's all the time we had for this edition of World Today. A quick recap of the headlines: Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi told French President Emmanuel Macron that Beijing appreciates France's independent foreign policy as they met in Paris. The U.S. has once again blocked a resolution calling for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza in the U.N. Security Council. China's central bank cuts its benchmark mortgage reference rate. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." For further discussions, follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.